Church, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the New Testament letter to the Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 4 today, and as we uh, turn to that text, any children are invited to participate in children's worship treehouse that will begin momentarily. They gather out in the foyer and then go to the children's worship Space, But we've been away from Ephesians for a couple of weeks now, and so we return to this letter, we return to this text. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll begin picking up in verse 17 uh, today. But certainly we have reason to give thanks. Uh, God has given us much. He has done much for us. We have much reason to give thanks. And one of the things that I truly am uh, grateful for is the opportunity to gather with you every week. To come together Sunday after Sunday after Sunday with a faith family to fellowship in the name of Christ and to open the word of Christ, to sing praises uh, to uh, our God who is a God who reigns and a God who saves and a God who will return one day for his people. I love that we get to be together every Sunday. But let me ask you this morning, how do you live Monday through Saturday? How do you live Monday through Saturday, if we were to hang out during the week, if we were to hang out for any length of time during the week, if we were to see each other during the week, uh, would it be evident that you belong to Jesus Christ? Would it be evident that I belong to Jesus Christ? Would it be evident that we belong to Christ? Paul says that it should be. In fact, I think he says it's stronger than that. He, he says it's got to be, and he's pretty emphatic about it. And so let's hear what he says this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. We want to hear from the Lord. We're in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. So let me invite you to join me standing, if you're able, for the reading of God's holy word. Listen to what Paul says about how we're to live all the time as Christ's people. He says this, he says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Verse 20, that however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Would you pause with me together in prayer? Oh, Father, we pause this morning. We pause this morning to invite you to speak to us. Lord, would you speak to us through your word? Lead us now, instruct us now that we might know what it means to be your people and to follow after Christ. Guide us in that way for the glory of your name. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. <clears throat> we don't have to look very hard very long in today's text to notice a clear contrast 
Right, right, a contrast between a former way of living, an old way of living, and a new way of living for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul describes it once again, as he does several times in this letter, as walking. In essence, he says, you used to walk this way, but not anymore, not anymore, not any longer, because that way is not appropriate. It's not fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. It's not the way of Christ. And the point is, the point that Paul's making is that as believers, our lives should look distinct from the ways of the world. As believers, as those who've turned to Christ for salvation, trusted in him, received the gift of forgiveness and new life and eternal life, our lives should look distinct from the ways of the world. Distinct means recognizably different in nature from something else of a similar type. Recognizably different in nature from something else of a similar type. Well, fall foliage has just passed its peak here in Alabama and leaves have gone during this season from the standard forest green to various shades of yellow, orange, and red standing out from the surrounding landscape from which they once blended in. Right? There's still trees. There's still just as much trees, but in God's intricate design and under his providential hand, they no longer look quite the same as they did, nor the same as the other trees around them. In fact, most of them have already begun shedding old parts. Right, letting go of dead parts that they once held too tightly and soon in just a few months as the sun begins to shine on them longer and longer, warming their branches, they'll begin showing colorful new life in place of these old parts. See, for a few days, perhaps for a few weeks, certain trees in autumn stand distinct from those around them of a similar Type, But Christ calls believers, he calls us to stand distinct from unbelievers for more than a few days, right? Not, not simply just on Sundays or Wednesdays or during vacation Bible school or while on a mission trip, but always and forever. The Bible is clear. The saved should no longer live like the lost. The saved should no longer live like the lost for the saved are no longer lost. Last week, a few of us on staff had the opportunity at the Alabama Baptist State Convention to hear from uh, the pastor, to hear a message from the pastor of Flatline Church in Montgomery. That's the name of the church, Flatline Church. And there, even you can look it up, even right there uh, under the name, the logo includes a, a little uh, uh, bar, a, a little picture of an, of an ECG, right? An echocardiogram with not much life and then all of a sudden a bit of life. You know, church names are rather interesting, aren't they? And you, you've got like the really creative types, uh, First Baptist Church, right? First Presbyterian Church, Second Baptist Church, the little town that I went to college in was about 10,000 people plus college students, and there was a First Baptist Church, a Second Baptist Church, and I'm pretty sure there was a Third Baptist Church, right? You got the really creative types, and then you got the Bible-thumping types. You got, you got the inerrant word gospel Bible church. How about that for a mouthful? And then you've got the calm, soothing, and serene types, right? The church at Brook Hills. Where do you go to church? 
Meadowbrook Baptist Church. Doesn't that just sound nice? Right? And then you've just got like the tell it like it is types. Where do you go to church? I go to Flatline Church because I was dead and Jesus raised me from the dead. He resurrected me. I'm dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's their theme verse. And it fits well with what Paul's saying right here. Paul's serious here. He is serious. His text and tone confront any notion of nominal Christianity where people check the box Christian yet live like the rest of the world. He's straightforward. He's authoritative. He's insistent. Verse 17, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Remember that Paul's writing this letter to Gentiles predominantly. It's writing to Gentiles and yet he says, don't live like the Gentiles anymore. He's talking about a, a Gentile ethic. He's talking about the morality, generally speaking, of the Gentiles. He, he's not uh, demeaning or disrespecting Gentile ethnicity. And likewise for us, the call to follow Christ means no longer living as Alabamians live. Or as Mississippians live, or Arkansans live, or Tennesseans live. As one writer says, substitute whatever cultural context you would like. For the call to follow Jesus remains a call that stands in stark contrast to the prevailing pagan worldviews and lifestyles of any place and time. Until the consummation of Christ's kingdom upon his return. You see, the saved must no longer live like the lost, which is the way of life naturally flowing from faulty thinking. Wrong thinking leads to wrong living. Wrong thinking leads to wrong living. And according to Paul, the lost are empty-minded and in darkness. What a thing to say. Empty-minded and in, in darkness. Paul says they lived in the futility of their thinking. A word meaning idle, empty, lacking truth. Implying they were ignorant of God. They worshipped idols rather than the living God. Reminded me of a time a number of years ago that during seminary, some of us had an opportunity to to go with a group from Samford to to London and to do a short-term class on urban ministry, visit various places in the city. And one of the places that we went was a Hindu temple. Walking into that temple and seeing folks coming in and bowing down in worship and in prayer to all of these idols, numerous, a plethora of images, idols that were all around the room that people were bowing down in in worship to and even bringing gifts, monetary gifts to as they had a little offering box in front of each idol. They were coming in and they were worshiping these idols rather than the living God. The Bible says that unbelievers are darkened in their understanding, suggesting powerful spiritual forces are reinforcing, right, and encouraging this aimless existence that characterize, characterizes all who do not know God. Unless we begin to credit ourselves and condemn others for actually 
Because we actually know the living God. Paul's language here is quite intentional. I think he is echoing chapter 2 where Paul has reminded us there that this too, this was our pitiful condition. This is where we were. We were darkened in our understanding. We, we were in a pitiful, poor condition prior to experiencing the love and the mercy of our God. We too were once empty-minded and in darkness, separated from God because of ignorance. Separated from God because of ignorance. Empty-minded, living in darkness, and separated from God. That was our pre-Christian condition and remains the condition of the world. Friends, you're either in Christ or you're not. There is no other camp. There is no other category. You're in Christ or you're not. And if you're in Christ, then follow Christ. Paul says that you've been raised from the dead. This is who you once were, but you've been raised from the dead, rescued by the grace of God and called to follow Jesus Christ. So don't live like those who don't know Christ. Don't live like those out of fellowship with God because you now know God. And oh yeah, by the way, don't forget, that that was you. Apelotriomenoi. That's the Greek participle that Paul uses here that means separated from. Apelotriomeno, precisely the same Greek word in the same Greek form, the same form, the same part of participle used way back in chapter 2, verse 12, to describe the very ones that Paul's writing to now that have come to faith in Christ. He said there, remember that at that time you were apelotriomenoi, separated from God. Don't live any longer like those who are separated from God. Paul says that was you, believer, but no longer, no longer an outsider. So start living like an insider, one who knows God's great love. No longer empty-minded and in darkness, separated from God because of ignorance and recklessly engaging in unrestrained appetites. That's the picture of verse 19. Just a few days, most of us will gather around the table and we'll perhaps engaged, engage in unrestrained appetites in a way that we don't, maybe the rest of the year, allowing ourselves a, a bit more room, a few more bites, a little extra sugar, another piece of, of pie. This is the way that we often think on such occasions. Perhaps we shouldn't, but that's the, that's the picture here. A numbness to sin. A numbness to sin resulting in unrestrained appetites that disregard God for the sake of fleeting selfish pleasures. Be they more money, more power, more ego, more pleasure. Having lost all sensitivity, verse 19, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're full of greed. That's the way of Ephesus in AD 62. And friends, let's not kid ourselves. That's the way of Birmingham in 2021. Right, we, don't, we don't have to look far and wide to find such insatiable indulgences here all around us. Be they corporate corruption or Opioid addiction or rampant sexual perversion that preys upon whomever, whenever, for the sake of momentary pleasures. Paul says, fellow believers, no longer you. 
Not so with you. You once were empty-minded, darkened in your understanding, separated from God and greedily engaging in all sorts of impurities, but God raised you from the dead. He saved you by His grace. God saved you in Jesus, and now you belong to Jesus. You're Jesus people, covered by His blood, cleansed by Him, pardoned of your sin. You're in Christ, called to live for Christ. As believers, our lives should look distinct from the ways of the world. The saved should no longer live like the lost, but instead, instead, those who know Christ should live, should live like they are in Christ. That's what he's saying here. Those who know Jesus, those who who've been saved by His grace, those called to be His people, covered by His blood, those who are who are in a relationship with Jesus should live, we should live like we are in Christ, distinct from the world because we've met the Savior of the world. Do you know the Savior of the world? Do you know the Son of God who came and lived so that He could die as the perfect sacrifice in your place and in my place and in whoever will turn and trust in him so that we might be forgiven of our sins now and forever and invited to be part of his family. He's the head of the church and he's the reason we gather. He's the reason we've come together once again today. The one of whom we sing and the king whom we celebrate. Paul's assuming the ones listening know Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Christ in accordance with the truth, the truth that is in Jesus. Literally, he says, but you, not so did you learn Christ, but you, this is the way that you used to live. You can't live like this any longer, but you, not so did you learn Christ. In other words, Paul's using relational Language suggesting that those who heard the gospel and put their faith in Jesus not only learned about Christ and the teachings of Christ, but that they also developed a relationship with Jesus Christ. Believers know Christ. Like Jesus once said and prayed to the Father, He said, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We're invited to know God and to know Him through Jesus Christ. Paul's reminding believers to live distinct lives from the world. To live like we're in Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? You never live like you're in Christ if you don't know Christ. Do you know Christ? See, those who know Christ should live like they're in Christ. What does that look like? Well, putting away old lies, the text says. Putting away old lies. Wrong thinking results in wrong living. But in the gospel, we hear the truth. Jesus said the truth is found in him. And that the truth will set us free, free from the rule of sin. In other words, if we don't know Christ, then we remain dead. We remain dead in our sins. But believer, you know Christ and have been set free in Jesus Christ. Thus, you can put off your old self, put off the old way, verse 22, and live for Jesus. 
No longer believing the lies of the devil and following the world's ways, but instead walking in the way of Christ's eternal kingdom, being continually renewed spiritually. It's a way of putting off old lies and being continually renewed spiritually. The text tells us the Christ way involves ongoing renewal. A continuous spiritual renewal accomplished by God himself. Paul says, you were taught, verse 23, you were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds. To be made new. Passive voice indicating God does this. God does this work. He makes us new. Jesus said, I'm making all things new. He is making us new. And even so, we're commanded in Scripture in Romans chapter 12 to be transformed. By the renewing of our minds, meaning we have a role to play. Right? God does this work, but we don't sit by idly. There's a role that we have to play. He transforms us by His grace, but we're called to set our minds on His ways. And the way that we do that is by filling, filling our minds with His Word. See, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to transform the people of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to transform the people of God. So we ought to be a people of the Word. And the result is that the people of God begin imitating the character of God. The text is clear. God is clear. His Word is clear. Paul is clear that the people of God should begin imitating the character of God. Paul says, you were taught... You were taught to put off your old self and to be made new and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Not too long ago, just probably a few months ago, a number from our church family participated in one of our serve days at the well house on a Saturday morning where rain was coming and there was a job to do there at the new children's home. The dirt had been prepared and the sod had been delivered and it needed to be put down before the mud got too wet. And so thankfully there was a good group there that day and we got to work. And when I say the rain was coming, like it came as soon as we began working. And so we're tromping through the mud carrying sod and passing it from person to person in the sopping rain, trying to get that ground covered. There was no doubt by the end of those couple hours of work that we were filthy and wet, needing to change our clothes. And so thankfully, many of us brought a change of clothes before we began the trip home. But you've all been in a situation, we've all been in a situation where we desperately needed to change clothes where we needed to put on a fresh set of of clothes. And that's the picture that Paul's using to describe the ongoing practice of putting away sin in our lives as as those who have been set free from its, its bondage. John Stott has said, It is because we have already put off our old nature and that decisive act of repentance called conversion. In other words, that's what... Repenting is, we're turning to Christ, we're turning away from sin and to Christ, a a new life in, in Christ. It's precisely because we have already put off our old nature that we can logically be commanded to put away all these practices. 
that belong to that old rejected life. And Paul's language here echoes the very first book of the Bible, the first chapter of the first book. It echoes the creation account in Genesis where God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. You know that story, you know that text, that as people, as human beings, we've been created in the image of God. We're the only creatures created in the image of God, an image that's been marred by our rebellion against God but recreated, and that's what Paul's saying here in Ephesians chapter 4, recreated in Christ to reflect God's character. For as believers, our lives should look distinct from the ways of the world. We should think and speak and see and act differently than broader Birmingham. Not because we're better or smarter or wiser, but because we know Jesus. And so let's be a people who strive to get to know Jesus. Friend, get to know Jesus. Get to know the one and only Jesus the Christ. Our text is clear. The truth is in Jesus. We're invited to know Jesus and to be in relationship with Jesus. So friends, see the Savior who has come to give you life. See the Savior who has come to lay down His life for you and for me. See the Christ who has laid down His life for us. Now this is eternal life. That we know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. So friend, do you know Christ? Is your faith in Christ... Have you put your faith in Him? Are you in relationship with Him? We're invited to be in relationship with Him. Put your faith in Him. You see, here at Meadowbrook, there are a lot of things that we do. A lot of gatherings, a lot of activities, a lot of ministries, a lot of meetings. But ultimately, our aim, our purpose is to glorify God. We exist to to glorify God, the, the only God, the one who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We exist to glorify God. How do we do that? We exist to glorify God by knowing Him, by knowing God through biblical worship. We're invited to know Him. We're invited to know the one and only God. And the Scriptures are clear. We come to know Him in Jesus. We come to know Him in Christ. So turn your eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will what? They'll grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let's get to know Jesus. And then, friends, let's follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus. Our text is is a call to follow Christ. This church exists to glorify God by knowing God through biblical worship and growing together as disciples of Christ, as students of Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, as His people. Jesus once said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. A disciple is one who follows Jesus. 
To put your faith in Christ is to follow Christ, so let's follow Christ. Let's follow Christ by continually learning Christ. Continually learning Christ and His ways and the way of Christ by reading His Word and inviting God's Spirit to renew our minds so that we're consumed with the things of Christ. And then and only then, friends, then and only then, as God's gracious Spirit works in us and on us, will we begin to live the kind of distinct lives that reflect the calling that we've received. Church, the contrast is clear. But the only reason our lives stand out is because the world doesn't know Christ. Paul's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. He's calling the church. He's calling Christians to live in light of the identity that God's already given to them. And Jesus, that's clear. He's calling us to live in a way that reflects what we've received in Jesus Christ. He's calling us to follow Christ. But I'm absolutely convinced that there's an implicit call here, an implicit call to share Jesus, to share Christ, to share Jesus with a world that remains empty minded and in darkness as we once were. To share Jesus with a world that is separated from God because of ignorance and recklessly engaging in unrestrained appetites just like we once were before we met Christ. Those who've met Jesus surely want to share Jesus. Want to tell about the truth that God has brought about and brings about in the lives of those who put their faith in Jesus. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you put your faith in Him? Are you in Christ? And how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Would you bow with me, O God? We thank you that you are a God who delivers good news. You have delivered good news to us. Gospel news. News of life. News of salvation. News of forgiveness of sins and restoration with you. Lord, not because of anything we have done, but because of what you have done and a truth that you invite us to believe. Oh, Father, we thank you for this good news and we thank you for for life in Christ. Lord, we pray that we would live as followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would be a people of your word. Lord, that even now, even today, Father, perhaps many of us are not engaging you and walking with you day by day. In prayer and in your word, Lord, would you lead us to do so today so that we might know Jesus? Lord, we want to know you, and you have made yourself known in Jesus Christ. Help us to know you, and Lord, lead us to follow after you. And Father, thank you that there have been others that have shared you with us. Father, lead us to share you with others. Lord, with the people who are empty-minded as we were, who are darkened in their understanding as we were, who are separated from you, Father, as we once were and who are recklessly engaging in unrestrained appetites, Lord, as we once were. Lord, help us not to live like that any longer and help us to carry this good news of, of eternal transformation 
and reconciliation with you to the world around us. Lead us in that way. And guide us now, Lord, as we respond to you, as we commit ourselves to you, as we sing your praises. Father, as we put our faith in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.